Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app turns your mobile phone into a working GPS. And one of my favorite things about the Hunt app is even if you don't have cell service, that's not a problem. You can access the saved maps from anywhere in the world and locate yourself in the wild. And so what you can do is you can find your map area where you're planning on hunting and download that area right to your phone. So again, you can be on airplane mode. You don't need service and it'll work. But what's been what's been really great with uh, the recent updates has made that process so much faster. You'll hear about Jared from Onyx talking about it in this episode, but the download speed is incredible. Just this weekend, I was driving to a, my hunting spot and forgot to download the maps and did it on the way without even using Wi-Fi and had the whole maps downloaded in very, very short amount of time. So... If you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app and be able to, you know, turn your phone into a mobile GPS unit, then head over to onyxmaps.com, use the coupon code EMW, and that'll save yourself 20% off of the app. Elk 101 and Corey Jacobson have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available, and that is the University of Elk Hunting. By going through all these different modules from beginning to end, from the planning phases, from, well, right now, getting ready for tag application season, uh, whether you're planning an over-the-counter hunt in Colorado or, or wherever, you can start planning those hunts by using the University of Elk Hunting and use that the whole way along, getting ready as far as your physical fitness, how to budget for the hunt, how to go through with elk calling, with elk behavior, and everything in between. It's all in one place. You don't need to be searching forums, doing all this stuff. It's all on elk101.com and the University of Elk Hunting. Use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST. You'll save yourself 20% off a one-year membership. And last but not least, Tethered. Tethered has been creating the lightest weight, safest mobile hunting gear on the planet. And they're doing that not just by coming out with great products, but they're doing that by educating you on saddle hunting and what that's all about. They have so many different resources that are free to you on the website. And if you think you want to try it out, the products are second to none, including they have two new saddles that are out and are actually on sale right now. So if you're listening to this live here in the beginning of December, um, the new Menace uh, saddle as well as the Eberhart signature series are both on sale as well as uh, some of their other ones here too but those are both on sale new new ones out there I think that uh, I think if you check them out you will not be disappointed so head over to tethernation.com to check that out all right so on today's episode I have a buddy of mine Jared Larson who works for Onyx and Jared is coming on to talk about his Montana whitetail season. He had a great season overall. Jared traveled to some different states and and killed some awesome bucks, but 
Specifically, I wanted to talk to him about Montana, and I, I think this episode is is really cool. Um, it, the story of his hunt is just incredible, and that's why I think Western whitetail hunting fascinates me so much, as you'll you'll get to hear here. And but before we get into that, if you happen to follow along with me on social media or anything else. Then you may have known this already, but if not, then I finally ended up uh, filling my Pennsylvania buck tag. So finally got a mountain buck down, and I I don't know. It's it's incredible. It's one of those situations where it truly was how your entire season can change in an instant. So I killed my my biggest buck to date, um, a giant nine pointer, uh, an old deer that I just took him over to the, the taxidermist and they are, and he is aging him anywhere from nine and a half to 10 and a half years old, which is just, that's just by looking at the teeth. I'm going to get, I saved the bottom jaw to get it, to send it in to get a very accurate measurement. But, um, he says he, he's pretty close on a lot of deer. So either way, it's an old whitetail. And it's just, it blows me away. Um, as far as if, as far as the, the score goes, we measured it out at 155 and two eighths inches. Um, that's just an unofficial gross score, but, uh, I just to, to kind of be able to explain the the size of this deer. But I think what's more important about this, this deer and this hunt wasn't, you know, about, you know, myself or something I did or anything. It was more so I was in the the right place at the right time with it. And I know that comes a lot with hunting, but it it came down to having just incredible people surrounding me and to be able to help out in this. So we were at camp on, I'm not going to go into the the full entire story of this right now. I'm going to give you a pretty good uh, synopsis, but uh, I'm going to bring my my buddy and past guest, Johnny Stewart, on, and hopefully my dad as well to be able to talk about through the whole hunt and history of this deer. But um, that I, I want to save some of that information for when I get those guys on here to be able to tell, tell the story a little bit better. But essentially, we were at camp Friday night, and I was planning on hunting this buck I've talked about um, on, on here before. And going in after this big 10 point and just, you know, we're, you know, a little bit frustrated and, you know, same with Johnny, we've both been uh, having some close calls and just haven't came through. And he's like, you know what, Bo, why don't we just go together tomorrow? He's like, you know, I got an area uh, that we can go into and check it out. And we were looking at this spot and it was perfect from the stance of the way the wind was going to be coming from the, I think it was a Northwest wind. And, you know, if you, if you remember, I, I did uh, the mountain buck scouting series on my YouTube channel. And the one specifically about buck bedding talks about how bucks, you know, and I'm not the first one to say this. So let me say that first, but talk about how bucks like to bed, you know, off of the points of the Hills on the leeward side. And so on the side that the wind is blowing over and essentially, uh, 
all, there's a, there was a couple different points on coming off these ridges that made it good for betting with that wind. So as we were talking, my dad was there and he's like, Hey, I'll, I'll come and do a few, you know, one man pushes to you. And if, if you're not from Pennsylvania, I'm not sure if any other States really do this, but, uh, actually the hunting public's kind of made it, um, popular again, but in, in rifle season in Pennsylvania, a lot of times we'll do, um, some people do giant deer drives where they have, you know, 10 people pushing the side of a mountainside. Um, but the way that like myself and some of my family's done it has to do with just one or two man kind of bump drives, almost like wind bumping a little bit. Um, and kind of just coming through the side of the hill and hoping to kind of bump, uh, a deer out of their bed and come towards whoever was sitting down. So, but for the size of the, the, you know, the hills or mountains or whatever you want to call them that we are hunting, we realized pretty quick in the morning on Saturday that that was, that was difficult, um, to do with one person, you know, pushing, but we, the, we were going to do the last drive, uh, before we went out on our own and Johnny was going to go sit somewhere for the evening. And so was I, uh, but him and I set up along this point and, he was up towards the upper third and I was down really kind of in the bottom third from the half to the bottom third there. And my dad just came around, uh, the mountain there and pushed out this deer to me. And what happened was I looked and so there was, there was a hemlock thicket kind of in front of me and then some oak trees that I was sitting in and I was sitting right on the edge. So, talking about edges again, going back to the scouting series and a bunch of different episodes I've talked about on here's the edges. So that's why, you know, well, essentially a lot of the reason Johnny's been hunting this area and why we set up the way that we did was on the edge of this hemlocks. And so, and also it was on, a, I was on a slight bench, not a big bench, just a slight bench. It's almost tough to, to be able to see with topo lines, but you, you can see it a little bit. And, I was hunting the same elevation line as some places where he had cameras set up and scrapes where it seemed to be the bucks were using it kind of on the upper edge of where the oaks ahead ended where the acorns were about done and we're set up there. So my dad came around, I caught glimpse of what looked like an antler sticking out of the, um, out of the hemlocks coming. I mean, this is close. I'm only set up 20 yards from these hemlocks. And I could see the glimpse of an antler and I went to pull up my scope and the deer started to walk and kind of looking behind him. And all of a sudden it walked right into my scope and I just saw the, one of the biggest frames I'd ever seen. And at that point I put the crosshairs right, right. Uh, I was a frontal, basically a full frontal shot, hard quartering two. put it right there and, and shot him. And the buck did a big mule kick and ran about 10 feet. And I ended up putting another shot into him just to make sure he definitely would have went down on the first one, but, uh, never know. And I'm not going to leave that up to chance. So I put another one in him, and the buck went down and I just let out a scream and <laughs> I, I couldn't hold it in it. Uh, Oh, it's been such an incredibly long season. And, uh, for for that to be able to, for me to be able to walk up on that buck and ended up being a buck that Johnny has a ton of history with, uh, it's just 
it is an absolutely incredible public land, Pennsylvania, just mountain monarch to say the least. So, I, I, you know, it, I was just talking about it last week on here and, and, and talking about it with a lot of people, you know, it's even when you're having a tough season, you just got to keep going and got to keep pushing it. And sometimes that takes changing up the plans. You know, I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and, and say, I, I take a ton of credit for, for this deer. Not at all. Johnny, um, was, was the, the, I guess the man behind the plan there and is not only so intelligent when it comes to deer, um, along with my dad, but also just extremely generous with, you know, not many people will take someone else into their hunting area. And he was just as pumped that I got it as if he would have. And I think that's, that's something to speak of his character and everything. So I, I guess I even went into this a little more detail than I was planning on it, but, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about the strategy and, you know, hear Johnny's uh, take on it as well when I get when I get him on here shortly hopefully be able to record this when he comes back this area way to hunt this weekend so anyways thanks for to everyone who had sent me out some you know very positive messages that means a ton like it it just it does it means a ton to to be able to hear that so I am pumped to be able to share this news and I'm going to ride this high for quite a while. <laughs> I said, I'm like, well, I'm taking a break from going to the woods, but I, I know that'll last like four days. So <laughs> anyways, thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Jared Larson. We're live. And that's the sound of a cold bush latte cracking across the computer screen here with my buddy jared larson what's going on brother not a whole lot bo i appreciate you having me on it's uh it's a beautiful evening out here in missoula montana and yeah drinking uh, a few bush lattes in your name yeah i <laughs> i appreciate that that's uh that's awesome jared you and i have uh known each other for it feels like quite a while i, th- I think it's been i don't know three, three four years three something years like that. probably yeah yeah that's the, in this virtual age of knowing each other. Yeah, I know. We've never met in person, so hopefully that can change here. Maybe maybe next year when I come out to Montana or something, we'll link up. Well, I'm thinking one of these times when Justin's toting the camera around, I better just like join and we better figure out uh, an on-X feature film to make happen. I think uh, I think we can do that. That'd be that'd be pretty sweet, I'd say. <laughs> well, I've been telling Justin to scheme up a good idea for not quite three years, but probably two at this point. And uh, his bum ass is yet to yet. So, you know what? He's just lazy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, he has enough car time to think about enough stuff. I know, good right? Dream. No, it, it's Justin. We're just joking about it, but he's, he's hilarious. He'll, you can tell when he's on his long car trip. So he'll just send me these wild ideas he comes up with. And that's when he does like the best thinking, like when he'll be like, I have this idea for an intro to the film and he's like, just runs it through me. He's like, you're going to come in and do this. And we're, I'm, he's like, I watched this movie and I got this idea. I'm like, when are you doing all this stuff? He's like, I drive a lot. <laughs> I'm sure did you, if you drive as much as that kid does, you have to be like downloading movies and I got a phone set up on the dash. I don't yeah. know how else he did. Yeah. He's, he's something else. He, what he, he sent me a Snapchat the other day. He's like, yeah, he needs an oil change. And he just got one like a month ago in his car. I'm just like, <laughs> holy cow. 
but anyways, Jared, do you want to give a little introduction, uh, who you are and you know, what's, what you're all about? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so, uh, I work for Onyx Hunts uh, out here based in Missoula, Montana. And uh, my, my technical title is a marketing specialist, so do with that what you will. But I uh, handle all, all whitetail uh, ambassador partner relations and then lead a lot of the, the marketing strategy for whitetail waterfowl in Turkey. Um, so been doing that. Uh, been at Onyx for three years. Uh, actually started in customer support. So um, worked my way up and now doing this. And uh, yeah, whitetails are really my thing. I uh, grew up in Wisconsin, uh, went to school at Iowa State purely to get resident deer tags in Iowa. And uh, <laughs> fortunately, all that uh, that bold play worked out for me. And now now that's what I get to do on a daily basis is uh, basically just scheme up how to hunt whitetails more. Yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty jealous of that, I'd have to say. But it seems like it seems like you guys over at Onyx 2 have a pretty cool group of people, like a really tight niche community there. So. Yeah, it's it's a super uh, it's a super cool place to work. Honestly, like I love the work from home aspect. Like that is a lot a lot of freedom, and frankly, more hunting opportunities. Just because it's like you know what, it's uh two thirty. All my stuff that I need to have done is done. I'm gonna go hunting, you know. Whereas like if you were in the office, you'd probably just like find something else to do or whatever. But yeah, now I'm working from home. <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude, I, I miss I miss the office because it is. It's a bunch of cool dudes and gals that that are pretty much all of them love to do things in the outdoors. And, uh, you know, that obviously comes through in the product creation that, you know, we're not just folks sitting in the house. I mean, we're out there, we're putting the product to work and, you know, it, it obviously translates to uh, having the, the best products and features and most stable products that, uh, that's out there. And it, it's, it's fun to be part of, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that I've noticed, like from my observations of companies that I think are like the top in their game, are the the employees are the ones using it and going through and and really putting it through the ringer like you hunted you know a ton this year and like you know like oh wow he gets he gets to hunt you know be off work but in reality you're still working too like yeah, this is how you're improving the product this is how you're scheming different ideas and, and I think that's you're actually using it which is you're you're putting yourself in the end user's position uh, to be able to do that and I think I think that's you know I think that's pretty huge. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I've hunted more this fall with like a full-time grown-up job than like ever before previously. And it was just like, man, this is unbelievable. Granted, I answered thousands of emails from a tree stand this fall. Uh, that, I mean, uh, but I'll take that trade off. I'll happily answer yeah. email all day from a tree stand, but I have to embarrassingly admit there was multiple sits in Iowa and Wisconsin where I wanted to sit somewhere else but I felt guilty enough about work that I chose stand location based upon seltzer. I was just going to ask that if that was, if Multiple that came to play. Yeah, it really did. Uh, I can't really say it cost me any deer per se, but uh, I guess we'll never truly know. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. I was, that was going to be my next question was did, it, but also did you ever screw up because you were looking at your phone? Like, like oh. a deer? Dude, are you kidding me? Of course. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much you're on your phone when you're in the tree stands. I don't, I saw a poll somewhere while I was sitting in my tree stand this year is like <laughs> plus or minus 50% you're on your phone while in a tree stand. I'm definitely plus like, yeah. oh, like, especially if I have like work stuff to do, which in the height of the busy season is pretty much always. 
I can't tell you how many like little bucks were like sitting there, like looking at me before I was looking at them. And I was like, damn. Yeah. But on it, somehow it never cost me with a mature one. Yeah. That's, that's good. And, and I guess, I mean, there's, there's that trade off there. If you couldn't work or, and you had to be in the office and you would have zero opportunities. So yes. oh, 100%. that's, that's the way I would look at it. And it's funny this year, the spots that I was hunting had cell service where most of the time, a lot of times I would be in place that don't have any. And I, I'm, you know, it's, it's embarrassing to say, but I, I struggle with those all day sits when I don't have, my phone and the battery charger, you know, that's right there. And like, you know, I, I like being able to disconnect, you know, and stuff on, on hunts and everything. But at the same time, when you're in a tree stand, that can be boring. It's so different on an elk hunt. Minus a 50 percent. I'd, I'd say I'm right around 50, maybe a little plus when I, when I do have service. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, and well, you know, like there's like certain times, like I tell myself the first hour of daylight in the uh, last hour, like you, you don't go near it, but like the middle of the day and stuff, it's like, mm. but at the same time, I mean, uh, you tell me when your best buck killing hours are, but mine are, mine are middle of the day. Yeah. And actually it's funny you say that because I, you know, I do that. I, I was talking to Justin about that was I, I've killed the last three bucks that I did that I've killed between noon and two, actually, like, I've actually killed two noon on the dot. Like it, really? that. Yeah. yeah. And I hadn't had an encounter this year. I was on my phone. I was actually taking a picture of my bow because I had a problem with it and I was sending it to the guys at prime and uh, I was sending the picture and I look up and there's a, a uh, young, like two and a half year old, eight point staring at my decoy. And I'm like, Whoa, you know, it just, it just came out of nowhere. And I was like, that, it, it didn't screw me, but it was just like, uh, it was kind of funny. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you, you hunted over a decoy a little bit this year. Give me the 32nd synopsis and opinion of decoy hunting. Um, I love decoys. So I actually use one on almost every single hunt. And the reason, Whoa. and the reason why I not, not like early season, but like during my rut style yeah. hunts is because what I've noticed is a lot of these bucks don't want to come out of the super thick stuff. And I can't hunt like in the spots where it's so brushy and briars and stuff. Cause my arrow won't get through. Sure. And so I'll sit like just off of that thick stuff where there's like a little bit of an opening, but I've had it where I, cause I call a lot. So they'll come and they'll stop at that thick stuff and look out in the opening and they won't come out unless they have a visual. So yes. that decoys help pull them out. But I've also had where it can scare them. So it's like, I'd say about 65% of the time it's worked for me and another 35 where they've darted, which is pretty good. Like I'll take those odds. Yeah, that's, um, that's awesome. And I use that little the Montana decoy, the two-dimensional one. Oh, it's a freshman buck. Uh, no, the, the dreamy doe. I, <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I named her Janelle. Damn. I named her Janelle, and so Janelle, um, she put, you got the angle right because like if they come, they come and spin around behind her or in front of her, and there's no, it's two dimension. They freak out. It's hilarious yeah. watching yeah. small bucks do that, and then yeah. they like spin around. They see her again, and they're jumping back. And, oh yeah, but Perfect. I'm a I'm a big fan of, of decoys for the certain situation. That's 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 what i like to use if it's if it's like yeah it, it all depends on the situation but hmm, yeah. right on i always i always have it in my in my pack essentially and depend on the setup whether i throw her out or not and i do have i do have the the buck one too the little little guy what, what's what do you call him 
the freshman buck. The freshman, my, uh, like, my boss Zach, dude, he is all about the freshman buck. Yeah, I got I got the freshman buck too, and I, I just haven't I haven't used him much. Uh, I, I I bought the package. I got the both of them in the package off Amazon, and uh, my my dad used them a lot and has had luck. So I I started using them a few years ago and hadn't had some you know some good luck with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. See, like, I, I really love the thought of like hunting over a decoy. Like when Hunsucker posts some video of some oh. like buck just absolutely demolishing his Dave Smith buck. And I'm like, I ain't never going to buy a Dave Smith decoy. I believe that. But <laughs> like Sam Soholt was t- telling me that I should like get a uh, heads up decoy because he's had such success with them in Kansas. Yep. And, uh, and I just hunt so much. I, I wouldn't call it open country, but compared to what you're hunting, you know, a lot of ag edges or like CRP edges and stuff like that. And I ran a, a decoy a few times in Iowa this year and it was just like, damn dude, every deer that like came out in the field immediately, they were just like whipping their head around, like looking at that decoy, just like super suspect of it. Like, you know, flag goes up and they kind of do that stupid little trot that just oh, yeah. makes you a little bit mad. Inside. Yeah, yeah, the the where they're yeah, it's like the little in the ground, like their head up. Yeah, dude, oh, I hate that shit. Yep, that when if, um, a, if a doe does that too close, she's getting hit because I can't. Yeah. St- I I just get upset about it. it starts so, snorting like, at me. Oh yeah, blow she goes, man. Well, I, so this year I started. This is funny, but I started snorting back at the deer when they do that, and it settles them down. A lot of the times, it'll settle them down, like to the point where, like I was doing that and. It was right getting dark and this doe is this like literally pinned me down in the tree and I was just she's blowing at me and she'd like walk a little bit away and I just do it right back and she come back out and look like wasn't sure what was going on. I was I was having so much fun with it. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. So you just gotta hit him with the deer sound. Yeah, I just he's gotta act like the deer, I guess. So I'm I'm sure my snort doesn't sound real good. It probably I don't know what it probably sounded like, but <laughs> I was gonna ask for a, a sample blow here on the podcast for uh I'll, for give, a, I'll give a sample blow. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See? All right. Yeah, I, I think that could work. Yeah, I just gotta you gotta give it to him hard, you know, and you gotta get in the moment. Like when I'm calling, I get in, I get into the like, I pretend like I'm that deer. Like I put emotion into it. Like I'm like throwing my body around a little bit, and uh, I don't know. It's just we're gonna we're gonna get off the topic that we initially discussed talking about <laughs> here for a bit because that just reminded me, dude. When I was younger, I don't remember what video it was. I think it was like some Primos video or something. But it wasn't like any well-recognized hunter that kind of like introed this idea into my head. But like he literally tied his rattling antlers onto his like bow rope. And then he had his grunt call in his mouth. And he was just like sitting up there like jigging his rattling antlers. So they would like hit the leaves and like clank into one another while grunting. And I really thought that that was like a brilliant idea at the age of 15. And so I rattled that way for a while. I can't, I can't say it did any better than just playing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's when, when I'm on the ground, I'll do a lot of stuff with like digging yeah. up, digging up leaves and doing stuff. And like, I think that I, I've never tried it from the tree, but I, I've heard of people doing that exact, exact thing before, you know? 
It's it's that's that's really interesting, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have I I wouldn't recommend it personally, yeah. but like if you want to just make a a boatload of movement and like do some ice fish jigging from your tree stands, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Take a pole with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just cast them out, and you can just like reel them back. Reel, yeah. <laughs> Just get some action going like, with like, them. Like your bass fishing a little bit, you know, yeah. just throw it out there and pulling it across the top water. But Perfect. Uh, so Jared, to kind of get back to get started on the topic that I, I wanted to talk to you about here. So you've had what I would consider a pretty incredible whitetail season and it's been super fun to to watch along on your Instagram and stuff and like and just talking to you because we text back and forth and it's it's been awesome and but what I want to talk about specifically is your Montana hunt for whitetail and I want to hunt whitetails in Montana my brother moved there want to go there and I think it's a and maybe you don't want to talk how opportunistic it is but at the same time I, I want to kind of hear how this hunt you know what it's like for you like how you go into your scouting and what type of country what type of terrain what, what are you looking at yeah so i mean montana as a whole is obviously i mean if you've never been here it's super diverse from east to west i mean the whole whole massive chunk of the eastern part of the state is more like rolling hills with some junipers and like sagebrush and like little swales that you know, from a glassing knob don't appear to be much, but all of a sudden a deer dis- disappears behind them and they're gone forever. But it also ranges to obviously the mountainous country everybody thinks of Montana as, but also just like so much river bottom, which like a lot of the river bottom in Montana is is where the opportunity lies if you're interested in like a, a more true to style whitetail hunt where you might be hanging in a tree and not like spotting and stalking. Um and so, you know, uh, growing up, there's just something nostalgic about sitting in a tree. It's what I, it's what I love to do. Do I love chasing bugles in September? Yeah, of course. But like, as soon as kind of like October gets there, my mind is getting to be in a tree. Um, and so it's actually the spot that I hunt a lot of whitetails in is, is a river bottom. Um, and there's, there's not a ton of public, but there's enough public that like you can kind of get away from people if you're strategic about it. Um, and also like anywhere using the hunt app, hunting borders, man, that's always, that's always seems to be the answer is hunting borders. Um, and so for what I, for what I've been doing in this area, I've been hunting it. I mean, this was my third fall hunting it. So it wasn't like I went in there this summer and it just like clicked. This was like year one, absolute ass handed to me. Year two was like, okay, I saw some deer. I shot a doe. Like I, I found some like good bucks in their beds. Like when I was scouting, bumped them out. Like I know some things. And then this year is when it all kind of clicked. And so the country I'm working with is if you look at it on a map, like on the Onyx, on your web map there, like you look at it, there's not a single topple line in like this thousand acre swath, just dead flat. And then it's mostly just like monotonous pine trees with like an intermix of just like little patches of aspen pockets where is like consistently wet but then you have the river itself goes through this chunk um and then you know being a river and runoff and all that stuff like new river channels are formed and created and like left to not be used every single year during runoff so like it took me a while to figure out and a lot of it was from like 
being ingrained with the hunting public and work and just like the need for habitat diversity, which you talk a lot about as well in your big mountain stuff. Um, and so like, eventually it was just like, okay, these ponderosas are worthless. Like they, they're good for nothing. Um, <laughs> and so like it, it became pretty clear fairly quickly that it was like the aspens that needed to hold my focus. Um, but then it was the problem of just being dead flat. So like when I got there and I finally was like seeing deer, I wasn't necessarily in the spot or the spot quote unquote was really hard to find because there was nothing to funnel them. Like what they did yeah. on Monday, not what they did on Wednesday, you know, like they're not walking in the same particular places because there's a ridge that comes down here. Or there's this, that, yeah, there's there. no train feature to help guide them. No, down. other than the river. And the river is obviously, you know, 70 yards wide and that's where the river is. But outside of that, you know, a thousand acres is a pretty large chunk. So I literally, like if I pulled up my Onyx web map right now, I started like drawing area shapes into areas. And I would just like, if they're a black area, never going back there. Like I've been there, I've seen it. I don't need that. And so like, I started like honing in. And like legitimately there was like, I think like 27 of the 1000 acres is what I was like, this is it. So like, this is where I need to be. And it was like one little block that was like a 20 acre chunk. And then one little block that was like a 13, 16, something like that. Um, and so like, literally I was like, these are the two hunt ch chunks I'm hunting all year. And, and like, I know deer use these two chunks more than the other 980 acres combined, uh, you know, from my experience. And is that, is that because those areas had the Aspen trees or what? what? Okay. So they were definitely just these little Aspen thickets. Um, both of them were unsurprisingly near water. One was right. The one I killed on was right next to the main stem of the river. And then the other one was uh, damn near half mile. Well, damn near a mile from that spot on just like this little tributary seepage Creek that has water, but like it's, it's not much water. Yeah. Um, and so the spot I ended up killing in actually, it was over a mile hike from any access point. You had to cross the river, which like full blown waders to do so. Like you're not, I mean, in the early season, you could just like do it in a pair of pants, but I mean, you were up to your belly button. Um, and so like, I just started going into this area, uh, pretty consistently in June and I like hung trail cameras and I would just go in there basically once a month. And I, frankly, I had no problem bumping bucks. Out of, like I went there knowing I would bump bucks out of it in the summer. And frankly, I wanted to, because I was like, I want to see what's here. And I like, I like, they were very consistently there on and uh on a west wind and a north wind but they were really hard to hunt on those winds because that's when they were playing the wind to be blown to them you know from from difficult to access spots yep obviously um and so I, like i knew the caliber of bucks that were in there uh, i mean there was a good really good 10 pointer you know probably something in the 50s um, and then like, honestly, a slew of bucks similar to the one I shot that were more of like the twenties, thirties, you know, probably three or four different bucks that were right in that realm. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, I hung it a couple times in early September um, and saw, had great encounters, saw good bucks, not quite the right bucks, saw deer. But a lot of times it was tough because it was definitely their bedroom. Like they were bedding there. That's what they were there to do. Uh, and so like getting out of the tree was, was difficult at times, you know, when you have a buck bedded at 120 yards, it's, it's a bit of a project to get out of there undetected, especially if you're not trying to leave your equipment there, which I, I pretty much hang and bang with my tethered setup every single time. Like, unless I know I'm going there within the next day or two, I'm pulling the whole thing. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, eventually I got in there and it was October the 4th was, was the day it all came together for me, uh, which I think was probably my fourth or fifth hunt in there, but I had a ton of trail camera data. I, I had three trail cameras in that little 16 acre patch, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I remember, so- I remember you sending me photos of the deer you ended up killing, I believe, and yep. a couple others, and you were sending me pictures of it and and everything else, and and getting you know fired up for it, and I and I was pumped seeing it. I'm like, oh my, like those are all good bucks, and it just looked awesome. Was so before you go any further, was there like a food source they were heading to? Dude, so it was it was right on this this particular like small chunk that I'd picked out was right on the edge of a a vast private ownership, a ranch. Um, But it's all pretty monotonous, even on that ranch. Like that ranch starts to go up into like the foothills of mountains. And so like you have a few like draws that come down, you know, with like some, uh, some more like juniper spruce tree type stuff. Um, But like, there's no obvious food source. Like it's just like grassy, I don't know. I, I honestly need to get better about like my deer and what they're eating when it's not a cornfield or a bean field, like what I'm, what I'm used to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause honest to God, I don't really know what they're eating out there. Um, <laughs> but I knew they were betting in this little Aspen Grove and doing it consistently. And they just lay there all day. Cause like I had trail cameras set up in a manner, like on some existing beds and like, I would get like, 60 pictures in a day of this buck just turning his head. You know, he was there at seven 30 in the morning and he was there until five, six in the afternoon. Like, you know, that's where he was holed up for the day. Did the trail cameras bother them at all on the bed? You know, so I, I, I don't know whether it's a gimmick or it's a real deal. I mean, obviously people hang them high for theft purposes. Yeah. But, um, I, I hung them a little bit over my head height, which, you know, probably six and a half feet in the air is where I was hanging them, but they never seemed to bother. But I will, I will caveat that with, I do believe that Montana whitetails are dumber than any other whitetails I've hunted. Like (laughs) legitimately, man, like, uh, the whitetails I hunted in Oklahoma this year, the whitetail I've hunted in Wisconsin and Iowa my whole life. They're all wiser than Montana whitetails. (laughs) That's interesting. Um, not, not to take anything away. I mean, like there's still yeah. a, a, a critter out still there, white tail. <laughs> eyes, but like, yeah, they, they don't seem to be like super on edge, you know, like I'm sure you in the big woods experience some, what I would call just crackhead deer. Like it doesn't matter what the sound is. Like they're just like freaked out and on high alert, like anxiety problems, man. Yeah. I, I've got, I've got some deer that I'll have trail cameras on like, you know, good 
10 yards off a trail, like what I think is kind of hidden. They'll walk by, I'll have it on video. Boom, they lock their head on it and they walk right up to it. And I never see them again on that camera. They'll, I've seen where they'll even walk around it. Or if I have it on a scrape, they'll make a scrape seven yards away on the other side of the tree. So they're not, it's, some of them are just weird like that. I, yeah, I, and, and others just don't care. Some love getting their photos taken and they're, you know, they're the, the influencer of, you know, the deer woods. Well, if you want to hunt some influencers of the deer woods, Montana may be your spot. <laughs> I'll take that. I, still, uh-huh. I think I, I think I need some of that. But anyways, yeah. I, I didn't want to derail your story there. I just was wondering about the the food and and kind of a little bit more. But go back yeah, to that. I, I wish I wish I wish I could tell you a little bit more about what they're eating. No, uh, I appreciate that honesty. That's good. But so anyhow, I you know it was purely a betting play, one hundred percent. And honestly, like, dude, I remember hitting you up. I, I hit up like quite a few like folks that I work with. I was like, you know, how would you hunt this? Because like, I, I understand the need to like only hunt a certain winds. Like I'm only going to hunt a spot on a North wind. I get that. I understand it, but I have a really hard time playing by that rule. Like uh, typically I've, you know, I have a full-time job. I'm getting to hunt Saturdays and Sundays for the most part. Now this year was somewhat of a caveat, obviously, but in Montana that held fairly true. Like I only had, X days I could hunt. Um, and so I was trying to make it happen on any wind that I was dealt. Um, and so, you know, I don't honestly, I think on the particular morning that I shot my buck, it was like a Southeast wind, which wasn't perfect, but was workable to get in there in the morning. Um, and so I, I snuck in there, you know, sweated the mile in cross the river, got set up, um, and, and maybe it's, uh, to a fault, but even I rarely hang in the same tree and I need to get better about like picking an exact tree while I'm scouting and marking that on Onyx because like, I always just get into an area. I'm like, Oh, this is a sweet area. And then mark that. But I get there in the dark. I'm like, wow, I really wish I had a tree. Yeah. How, how true is that point? Like I've, I've actually, I've gotten better at it, but it took me a lot of mess ups before I was figuring. And still I get to that point. Like I'll be like so fast scouting. I'll be like, Oh, or, this is a sweet spot. Like I, this is going to be awesome. I'll come back here and figure it out, you know? And then I never <laughs> come back there. And, you know, cause I'm always just like wanting to see what's, what's next. And picking that tree is such a big deal. And what I'll do is I'll take a photo of it in the, in the waypoint. So when I go in and hit it with my headlamp, I'm like, okay, it's got this Y here. It's got this going on so I can find it. And I'll even mark in my notes on Onyx, like go up until you hit this, you know, where it breaks off here, probably four sticks high, you know, face this direction. And I'll do that stuff because otherwise I, I, my brain doesn't hold that much information. So it, I forget all of it. And the other problem is, is like, I mean, in this particular spot, you know, it's an Aspen Grove. It's just like, you know, clusters of Aspens around. And I like vividly remember when I was in there, I was like, yep, that cluster of Aspens looked good. But like a dumbass, I didn't do anything you just said. I just dropped a waypoint where I was standing and thought, the, yep, that cluster of Aspen looks good would resonate at 4.30 in the morning sometime later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I picked my tree in the dark or whatever, and it was one of those feelings where immediately, like, when you get up in your tree, and I guess I feel this way most times when I get up in my tree with my saddle set up, I'm like, well, shit. 
I wish I was in that tree six yards that way. You know, it was just one of those deals. Like it, it was okay. Like I was in a good, good spot, but like, I didn't have great shooting lanes. Um, and you can obviously only do so much, you know, when you're in your tree there. And so, uh, it was a pretty phenomenal morning. Like even when I was walking in, there was bulls just ripping off bugles as I was walking in. And like, even as I was hanging my stand and I, this spot, like it's super hit or miss either there's elk there and they're there or nothing. And so like this morning they just happened to be there. And so I always have my bugle tube and my elk calls with me when I'm, even when I'm intending to whitetail hunt. And so there is this one particular bull that was on my side of the river. Most of the bulls were on the other side of the river. Um, and like, I don't know, you've elk hunted enough where it's just like, you know, that bull sounds like his ass is lonely. Like, that just sounds like a lone bull. He, he doesn't have cows. Mm-hmm. And so that was just like the feeling I had about this bull that was on my side of the river because ordinarily, like when I'm in the tree stand, unless I'm like really confident about it, I'm not just going to start ripping bugles right at, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes before shooting light, like right at prime time. But that's what I decided to do. I just started ripping bugles at this, this bull from my tree stand. And he kind of went quiet as shooting light got there. And so I was just like chilling, whatever. And all of a sudden I hear a stick break behind me. And so I like turn over my shoulder and look and here it's the buck I end up shooting, you know, which is a solid 120 or so inch nine pointer, maybe a touch better than that. He has good frame on him. uh, Just not a lot of mass, but anyhow, he's, he's working kind of towards me, like towards the bedding that I'm sitting over for sure. And so I'm like, okay, so I do the whole, you know, 180 spin in the saddle and kind of grab my bow and get situated. But all of a sudden, before I know it, he's like with a a group of, I don't know, six, seven other bucks on October 4th. And so it's like, whoa, okay, we got a lot of eyes, ears and noses here. Um, And so it's like pretty still. And they're, I mean, they're in no hurry. They're just milling about kind of feeding amongst the the grass and browse that's in this little Aspen stand. And um and uh, literally out of nowhere, like those bucks are just feeding. All of a sudden, this bull elk walks right through the middle of these six, seven bucks, like literally between some of them. Bucks don't pick their head up. Elk doesn't acknowledge the deer. Like it's just like an everyday occurrence. And I'm like, what is happening? And so this this bull, you know, it's it's a like a raggy five point. Um, a bull that is legal and I would be absolutely thrilled to wrap my tag around. And so he kind of is like perpendicular in me at like a hundred yards. And I'm sitting here like, do I cow call at this thing? Do I just sit here and let it play out? Like, what are these deer going to do? You know, there's like way too much going on right now for me to even really understand. You literally had like, you had the best scenario and the worst scenario in one because like you had everything you could ever want, but at the same time you couldn't do much about it, you know, like, yeah, I was just like, tree at, you know, 90 yards from this bull elk and like 70 yards from this closest buck. And so like, I just kind of sit there and just like, let it play out and like, no shit, this elk hops on a trail that literally walks like six yards below my, my tree. And it's just like a very prominent trail. Sometimes there's cattle in there. I think they're in there from like June to August. And so there's like some cow trails and he hops on this cow trail. And so I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to shoot an elk from my tree. 
Like, this is the dream. I'm going to, this is amazing. And so this bull is just like, I mean, he goes from being at a hundred yards to being at 60 yards in like two seconds, you know, feels like two seconds. And so he gets to about 50 yards and it's to the point where I'm like release clipped. I'm probably going to draw back because my best shot at him is probably about 30 yards just because I don't really want him right on top of me. And if he gets below my tree and by me, I, I don't really have much for shooting. And right at about that point where I'm like really getting ready, he decides just to take a hard right turn and like start going from 50 to 55 to 60. And so I'm like, oh crap, like it's kind of now or never. So like I grab the range finder and I start ranging trees. Range one at like, I think it was at like 62 yards and he walks just behind that tree. And so like whitetails at 64 yards, never am I taking that shot. Bull elk, yeah, I feel pretty good, like very good about that shot. And so I drew back and I, I definitely mute at him to stop, but I didn't have like a, a call in my mouth, which was probably stupid. Um, and he definitely like swung his head around. And it, it was one of those stops where you knew he was like, that was wrong. And so... <laughs> whatever clicked in my brain in that millisecond was like, you don't have time to think about this one. And I just, I like, I rushed the heck out of that shot and I watched that arrow just sail clear over his back. And I, I mean, I knew the exact yardage. I literally dialed my, my black gold to 62 yards. Like it was all there and I just pooched it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it was, and it was one of those things where I was like, what just happened? So I shot that arrow the bull, the bull obviously runs off. Like, I don't know if you've ever been down range when somebody shoots an arrow, but it's like a missile's coming at you. Yeah. And so like he, he scampers off the deer. No clue. They didn't even pick their head up and they're at 70 yards, a little bit like in a different direction somewhat, but like nothing happened. And so I was like, you have got to be kidding me. So I knock another arrow and this whole little bachelor group of deer comes freaking walking right to me, man. Like I had some of them were at six yards. Some of them were at 40 yards, but literally every single buck, which again, there was somewhere between six and eight. It was hard to keep track of them, honestly. Um, in this group, all of them were within bow range. All of them, but the one I wanted to shoot were shootable at multiple points and like the, you know, the buck I ended up shooting, which was the only buck in the group that I wanted to shoot, he, you know, he was just doing, you know, good buck things and just not going into killable locations. And, uh, and eventually like these two, uh, marginal bucks, uh, start like sparring a little bit. And one of them like kind of runs off with his tail tucked. And all of a sudden my buck just decided that that was enough of, uh, the other little buck winning any type of scrums. And so he, he walked his, uh, walked his ass right into a shooting lane at 37 yards. And I really didn't give it a whole lot of thought after that. I was like, well, you're in bow range. I'm killing you. And, uh, and so he like sparred with this little buck for a minute and like picked his head up and I, I thumped him at that point. I hit him a little bit high shoulder, but like, I, I mean, he was bulldozing within 30 yards of the shot and he like, bedded down 30 yards from where I hit him, And I, uh, I, I just couldn't get another arrow in him at 60 yards there. And eventually the other bucks actually bumped him into some thick cover, not far from me. 
Um, but I was like, that's a dead deer laying down. Um, like he's, he's feeling rough. Yeah. And so like, I just snuck down out of my tree, like crawled out, you know, the few hundred yards to the river and, uh, just, I don't know. My thing is I always call my old man and I always call my brother after I, I shoot a deer. Like those are just two phone calls I always make. So just talk to them, whatever. And I'm just kind of chilling. And all of a sudden, like these bulls from this morning uh, on the other side of the river, just start piping off at 10 in the morning. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll go try to shoot an elk while I'm waiting for, uh, waiting for my blood track job on this deer. And so I literally chased a mega herd of elk. I mean, I counted nine different bulls and I mean, well North of 50 cows. Honestly, it would not surprise me at all if there was close to a hundred cows. Um, but I mean, for a solid two hours, I was just chasing screaming bulls. And I mean, like it's pretty open and dead flat again, zero topo lines. So I'm just like, belly crawling behind deadfalls or like hiding behind a tree. And I mean, this whole massive herd of elk is within, within 200 yards for two hours. And so, I mean, it was just like one of those things where you really couldn't do much that many ears and eyes and noses. And like, you try to get into bow range and then like two bulls start getting pissed off at each other. And then the whole herd runs around and, And so eventually like the group kind of split up into two groups and I followed frankly, the lesser of the two groups. Um, And I ended up just like sitting on this herd. I crawled into where they bedded down, got to 30 yards from the closest elk. um, Just literally just belly crawling really slow, trying to keep trees between, you know, any elk that I could visually see. And I got to this ponderosa pine and I mean, there was, I don't know, 30 cows within 50 yards and, <laughs> and I could see two bulls like clear as day. They were like raking trees. They'd bugle once in a while. It was again, one of those scenarios where it's like, okay, I'm at 30 yards. There are so many elk here. I would love to try to blow a bugle and get that bull from, you know, the middle of the herd to my edge of the herd, or I'd love to like blow a elk or a, a little cow call you know, some type of little estrus, like squeaky mew type deal to see if you might come over there. But I'm like, I can see 10 cows eyeballs. Like yeah. they would pick you gig, up and yeah. Like, like gig is going to be up. That's not going to fly. And so I literally sat there for probably an hour, hour and change behind this tree. And these elk are just, just bedded, just chilling, like chewing their cud. And eventually I was like, you know what, Jared, like you're getting a little greedy here. You just stuck a great buck. You missed a bull and you have like 10 cow elk in range. That is a full freezer and eating very happily for a very long time. And so I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to shoot this cow. That's right here at 37 yards. Like as soon as I either feel confident about this bedded shot or I'm going to mew and make her stand up. And so I opted for the Mew to make her stand up option and it worked like a dream. I blew a little Mew. She immediately stood up slightly quartered away, 37 yards, let it fly. Like, honestly, I wouldn't have placed the arrow any differently. Like maybe it was an inch lower than I would have wanted, but like aimed at the opposite front shoulder, went right to it. I like thought I smoked her. Like I was like, holy shit. 
what have I just done? Because it was about 70 degrees and I had a cow elk and a buck to pack out. And it was like one in the afternoon. And so I was like, wow, uh, I need to call for some help. And so like, I start calling buddies, uh, most of which who are also in the mountains elk hunting. So not getting real successful here. Uh, (laughs) Find one buddy who is a recent dad and he's like, yeah, I got my kid, but ah, I could probably haul out a front quarter. (laughs) And so he's like, he comes out and I get another buddy to come out. And dude, we looked for that cow elk first because I thought she was just going to be stone dead. We, uh, we ended up looking for four hours for that thing initially upon impact. Never found arrow, never found blood, never found anything. I'm positive that I hit her. And like, I like to think I know where I hit her. Um, but we looked for four hours that day, kind of gave up on that search for the day. Uh, went and found my buck. He was dead right where I left him. Um, and so like dealt with the buck, packed it out in the dark, came back the next morning and looked for shit. I looked for most of the next entire day. That was a Sunday, um, for that cow elk. And I never, never, never found a sign of anything on that, on that deer really, uh, or on that elk. Yeah. No blood, no arrow, no anything. And I mean, when I shot that thing again, there's probably 40 elk laying with her. I mean, it, it was just an eruption of pure chaos. So like immediately I saw Fletching's berry wasn't a pass through. Like when she turned, I probably saw like three inches of arrow sticking out of her maybe. So, I mean, pretty full penetration. My best guess is it lodged into her opposite shoulder. Um, but yeah, dude, I mean, that was, that was crazy. Uh, the buck was high shoulder. I just smashed through the shoulder uh, shooting some fixed blades, you know, got the onside one lung and just took him a little bit to, to expire. But yeah, he was, he was dead right where I left him. But oh, man. all in all, I launched an arrow at a bull elk at sunrise, shot a very nice white tail 45 minutes later. And then three hours after that, yeah, shot a cow elk and just had the craziest elk hunts of my life for sure. That that's yeah, that is incredible. And Jared, you called me. I don't know if it was maybe a day later or whatever. Yeah. And, and were telling me, you know, this story. And I was like, oh my, that's like a dream day. Like I <clears throat> believe me, it. I know you would have much rather yeah. hit the first bull and then got your cow and stuff. But just as far as opportunities and experience, like you don't get days like that. I mean, I'll, I'll, I mean, I have a boatload of video from my phone because like this year I really was like, you know what, anytime you have an opportunity where it's not like immediately you have to kill this thing, film it through your binos, man. Just be, like, I love going back and looking at that. Yeah. Like, it's I awesome. don't know. It just brings me joy. Um, and so like, I have just like a bunch of video of these bull elk just screaming their ass off at like these herds of cows and like cows just running everywhere. And like, I've relived that a lot of times when I do it is when I'm sitting in a tree stand bored off my ass. Like, you know, let's go scroll up some photos and yeah, uh, see. I, oh man, I, go, in September. I, I have like a, a ridiculous, like, I think it's like 11,000 photos and videos on my phone. And I go through like all of them during the deer season, like just sitting there in my tree, especially if I don't have service. That's like my number one thing. Yeah. There's nothing else to do. No. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, dude, I mean, it was, uh, 
it was a day of hunting that'll live in infamy for me forever. I mean, I'll never forget that one. As you said, it could have turned out a little better, but I mean, another thing that I just like to talk about with people and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording the show, but I mean, just the very, very small margin of error you have with archery equipment, like, I mean, I don't care whether it's a bull elk, a cow elk, a whitetail doe or a Boone and Crockett buck, like maiming and not finding an animal hurts pretty much all the same. Sure, a mature buck or a bull is going to sting a little bit more than a antlerless of whatever variety, but I just the the turmoil that that brings is so shitty. Uh, and, and just I mean, being an archery hunter, I mean, my boss put it into pretty good perspective. Just because obviously at the office we share all these stories, and he's like, "Dude, the moment you picked up a bow, you had to accept the fact that like." that's part of bow hunting. Like, I don't care who you are, how much you practice, it's going to happen. And it just sucks. Yeah. There's, there's no way around it. Like it, if, if you're, if you've said that, you know, you never had a bad shot or, you know, something happened, you know, I'm either going to call you a liar or you haven't been bow hunting long enough. And I, I don't, you know, I'm not like, like you said, like you can practice as much as you want, do everything right, which I, I, a huge advocate for that. But like, there's still things that happen. I talked to you about before. I've talked about it on this podcast before. Last year, when I shot a whitetail, one lung, tracked him for like two miles, all this stuff. And a guy ended up killing him like three weeks later in rifle season. Like he lived through a one lung hit, like 100% pass through. And just like, it blew my mind that like they are just strong ass animals and and there's just such a margin for error with a bow and and yeah you you have to accept that sometimes yeah which which it never gets easier no it never gets easier and it's like yeah i i can't tell you like well a lot of people listening know the hopeless feeling of just grid searching man like especially when i had buddies out there doing it with me it was just like every moment I was like, dude, I just need somebody to yell, like somebody to yell, Jerry, you know, like I, you're just waiting for it. Yeah. And it, when it never comes, it's just like, wow. That well, just- I, I know even like, so when Justin was out here filming me, I, I shot a coyote and we were filming it so I could see exactly where I hit. I buried it absolutely perfect. There was not a drop of blood and I went to look and I'm like, there's no way like is this my like i we did like a little grid search and then i'm like he's in this buck bedding area i'm like screw this coyote he's killing me here and i ended up justin went back to the tree and i said i'm gonna keep looking over this way and he didn't go very far he went like 120 yards but no blood maybe he did bleed and i just couldn't see where he went but anyways i found him laying next to a buck bed and this giant rub just deader than a doornail and it hit perfect perfect, but like yeah he got the last laugh he literally went right into that area and i was like "Mm." oh it that's a that's a different story but it was funny when um justin said to me he's like he's like you know i I, he goes i film a lot of people and like some won't shoot coyotes or something they're worried about like screwing up their hunt he's like i love it you got just as excited like as pumped up for shooting a coyote as you did a deer i i I don't know i i love the whole the whole thing of it if it makes me happy gets me pumped up i'm all about it opportunistic baby yep i love it that's that's the same thing well 
You know? And if I know anything about your big woods, it's not like opportunity comes knocking no. every day. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You comment, you sent me a message when I, uh, I shared a story of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a buck that I passed on. That was a three-year-old eight point. And you're like, if that's a three-year-old, I feel bad for you guys in Pennsylvania. And, oh, yeah, yeah, and, 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 and like, that's, it's, it's true. Like sometimes you'll get three-year-olds that'll hit 120 inches or you'll hit three-year-olds that are, <clears throat> you know, 105 inches. Like to give you guys some context, <clears throat> I was sitting in Iowa where I was having encounters with incredible whitetails just about every single day. Bo posts this like eh, 65 inch buck on his story and captions it a three-year-old. And I was like, damn, this guy. Yeah, I know. And it's like the only way you can tell is just their bodies because sometimes their antlers don't. He was a stout little bastard. Yeah, I want, he didn't I, have much going on up there. No, he didn't. And um, it, it's funny, like, it's when you talk about opportunistic. Like, for me, I feel like I'm at a point. I'm not I'm not someone that's like, I, I don't consider myself an expert with anything or whatever. But, like, I, I tried my goal like this year, I was hunting a specific buck and I knew that my odds were low at that, but I was really trying. But at the same time, I'm not a person for me that that's the only deer I'm going to shoot. And my, it all depends on that moment. Like yeah. there, there could be a, a small three-year-old that comes in that gets me excited the one day and I'll shoot them. And there'll be other days that I won't even pick up my bow and I can't really explain it, but it just, for me, it's like, I, I know it when it happens on what I want to do. I like to say my hand decides dude. Cause I'm the exact same way. Like if I see a buck, usually it's pretty immediate that like, if I see a buck, I want to shoot my hand is like yeah. immediately just reaching for my bow. Like it's yep. not conscious. It's just like, yup, that's, that's going to do it. Uh, so yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that sentiment. <laughs> I, I've done it before too, where like I'd shoot and I'd be like, was was that, was that a good deer? Like I, I, I <laughs> like I, I'd like, I just got so in the moment and got like, you uh, know. I just blacked out. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what I shot. Blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, dude, that's awesome. But yeah, that's, that's so cool. And, and you know, that, that hunt just sounds, it's so different than the style of hunting that, that I'm doing. And I think that's what intrigues me about it. Like, it's just, I, I love, I love whitetails because they live in so many different places and they're almost like different animals in different places. And 100%. it's, it's incredible. Like for me, I, I, I want to see it all. Like eventually I want to hunt them in all these different places. And it's, it's like to hunt them with bugling elk and like, everything else there there's a spot in pennsylvania that i've hunted um last year actually a lot that had elk in there and i was listening to bulls bugling and fighting and there's coyotes howling over here and it was just like fascinating to me well even if you don't see a deer it's like that's sweet set yeah exactly like i i love that kind of stuff and i love that aspect like i i totally want to hunt you know, Montana and some of the Western, not even just Montana, but some of those Western whitetail states to do something different, you know? Dude, and that's the problem, man. Like, obviously that's the problem for everybody is, is, is time resources. And money <laughs> yeah. resources. But like, I, I have come to find that I'm such a whitetail guy, even after living in Montana, like chasing elk is awesome. Like, don't ever get it twisted. Like it's amazing, but it's never going to be like my thing. Like whitetails are my thing. And like getting to hunt Wisconsin, Montana, Oklahoma, and Iowa this year, all it did was make me, I was like already scheming with somebody as I was like, yo dudes, we should put in for Kansas this year and like go hit Kansas and do like the public walk-in thing. 
And then I was like scheming with like Philip Culpepper. And I was like, yo, dude, what's going on in Mississippi in about January? I'd love to come see what's going on down yeah. there. And so it's just like, man, I, I just want to see what these deer are like everywhere. Because I promise you the whitetail in Montana to Iowa to Wisconsin. I mean, the Iowa and Wisconsin deer are pretty similar. The Montana deer and the Oklahoma deer and though the Midwest, upper Midwest deer, all very different. Like out here in Montana, less wary, far more of like a herd animal. Uh, you know, like you'll see, I mean, obviously you see the the dreary and the hunsuckers and like they have 60 deer in their food plot or something, but I, I don't ever see that. Like yeah. in Montana, all of a sudden you get this just like crappy looking like little egg field and there's 150 whitetails in it. And you're like, what? Yeah. what's going on here and then in like oklahoma there yeah i don't know they just seemed like different deer there i mean i don't have a long enough sample size there but like they weren't nearly as alert as upper midwest deer but like when they caught you they were like out of there whereas in like montana they give you kind of i wouldn't say a second chance but they're not like immediately like in the next county i don't know man they're they're crazy animals yeah that's that's awesome man i i like i said i i totally want to hunt all these places as you do and and i'm i'm pumped from it like so i you may or may not know this because you're a resident in montana right yeah so do you know um as far as how to obtain a non-resident whitetail tag or deer tag there oh yeah yeah so i mean the the general deer tag in montana you do have to apply for it, but you can buy a preference point before the application. Applications usually do like March 15th, I believe, is the annual date for that for uh, deer, elk, and lion in, uh, in Montana. And so you can buy a preference point before that. So essentially, you're, you're applying with one point, and the preference point costs like 50 bucks or something like that. Um, and I think that gets you right around an 80% draw as far as if you just want a general deer tag, which you can shoot a whitetail or a mule deer with it. You can just only hunt in general units, which I don't know. I think you can shoot a whitetail in any, any unit as a general. Don't quote me on that. Um, and then mule deer, there are definitely like some specific units. Like for instance, like unit 270 is a premier mule deer unit in the country and takes, you know, freaking 20 points to have a yeah. 2% chance to draw. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, a, a general, a general deer tag covers a vast majority of the state of Montana for whitetails or mule deer 600 bucks. So it's definitely, a a, a price tag to it but it's an incredible opportunity and and you get to hunt bow or rifle it's not like you're you're pigeonholed so if you want to come out here and chase them with your bow in october and then if you don't feel your tag you want to come out and do a november rifle hunt more power to you burn some gas money yeah i think that's awesome the fact that you can i i like when you can do that i think idaho does that too comes um, right back to me and you being opportunistic man yep. that's, that's all about the opportunity yep i i totally agree like that's yeah i i i'm, I'm pumped like i said I, I think i'm gonna have to buy a tag i'm gonna apply for an elk tag i think this year is my plan i it's funny so i'm planning 2021 hunts but i told like just me and a couple guys that my cousin mason buddy michael went on the caribou hunt 
we plan together. We've been putting in points together. We said we're not going to plan our hunts until we tag out on whitetails. We all expected to be tagged out in archery, and Mason was the only one that did. So we, we've been put behind on the whole uh, applying thing or like planning things out yet because I'm still yeah, going. Yeah, making after. planning contingent on harvest success in the whitetail woods was not wise. That's for sure. No, I I, I know better. only wise if you didn't want to go on hunting trips. <laughs> I know, I know. Like it's you see how Idaho changed their system this year? Dude, oh my God. There was a whole Slack thread going on at the Onyx office because nobody could figure out what the hell those regulations say. Yeah. And like I, I right now, if I wanted to hunt the spot I hunted over the counter, I bought the tag in August two years ago. It's already gone. Like I can't even hunt there if I wanted to. They, what do sold, you mean? they sold out of tags already. They made it so. Already? Yeah. It it's ca- December. They December first, they went on sale and they put they put a, a cap on every zone, so all of the better zones sold out already. I literally didn't even know that because like I, it was so confusing when I read the regulations that were posted in our little message board here that I was like, you know what, this isn't for November. This is for February during application season when I'm bored at night. But well, turns out if I wanted to hunt Idaho, I pooched it. Yep. I, yep. I, it's, it's crazy to me actually, but I mean, I get it because it's going to help probably the quality of hunting, but at the same time, it can't be a backup plan for me anymore. I almost got to buy the tag up front. I don't know. Dude. Well now, I mean, now it's just Colorado at this point, as far as yeah, uh, for just regular counter, you're hundred percent right, which is crazy. Except maybe, maybe the Utah spike tags are still that way. I can't remember off the top of my head. I I, have I can't to, either. To get but I think you might even have to apply for those. Yeah. So you huh. can't you can't just like decide you're gonna go and go to Walmart poor, and buy a tag. Colorado elk herd. Oh, they yeah that herd's getting smoked. <laughs> Brutal. Uh, damn. Well, and speaking of application deadlines, dude, your uh, your Alaskan mentions. So my sister is an Alaskan resident. Yes. And, uh, I, I've gotten very serious over the last two days with our doll sheep hunt planning. And so I think we have some drainages narrowed down and that application is going in for me. Uh, I don't know about tonight, but this week for sure. Cause that deadline's 15. Oh man. Are you getting pumped about that? Dude? No, at this point, I'm just like the list of gear that I need to acquire <laughs> the, the largest of which being a pack raft. Uh, and then <laughs> the logistical planning aspect of it. I mean, we're just to the point where it's like, okay, now we actually have to start figuring shit out. So, yep. I mean, it, it, all, it all falls into place as you know, but it, it's, it's just stressful at this point still. Yeah. 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 I, I, I hear you. But, and the biggest, the biggest part was so like, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher his last name, but Austin Mainlick of, uh, mission Alaska. Uh, he's been a dude that I've been in contact with like you for a few years now. And so I had this whole hunt plan laid out and this dude like guides in Alaska, um, you know, and he, he's about as hardcore as you'll find him. goes on like 20 day solo doll sheep hunts, like just nutty, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like not. For hey, me. You saw a look on my face. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I was, I was like, I called him today, and I was like, "All right, dude, here's my hunt plan. Like, this is the drainage we're going into." And he's like, "You've got to be shitting me! I hunted that drainage last year. 
I'll tell you what, right now, that is going to be a long nature hike. And so like today he just took a wrench and just wrecked my doll sheet plans. But thankfully he was a real, a real homie about it and pointed me in some new directions to check out. But it was like, literally like I was set on this unit, this drainage, we're doing it. And he's like, yeah, dude, I really, I mean, if you want to go for it, it's, it's pretty. I was like, well, I'm spending too much money for a pretty, pretty nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my. So, you you know the drill, though. Yeah, I, I, I know that's like, but hey, that's, that's, it sucks, but that's good information at the same time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Better, better now than in August. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I guess to, to shift gears here towards the end, what, um, what's new with onyx and some of the there's been some new things that have come out some updates anything you want to mention on that side of it i've been talking about it you know in the intros to the podcast here but i want to hear it right from the horse's mouth yeah so i always get my trouble i always get myself into trouble during these segments on podcasts because i always give away more than i'm supposed to uh So, I mean, obviously in the last couple months, you know, you got the 3D for iOS and web, um, you know, which is great for planning. And we are definitely in the works to make that, uh, I guess I'll say, not only useful for planning, but useful for in the field as well. You guys can take your conceptions as you will there. Um, And then, I mean, I don't know if you guys have saved maps recently, but just the speed of saving a map now is incredible yeah it mind blows me even it's like under a minute sometimes i can get a map saved on on not even on wi-fi on like service uh and the cool part there is like i've been literally in the last month driving to a spot and i'm like oh my god i forgot to save a map and you can save it and even if it only saves partially that partially saved area will work so like it's and that's been a major major boost in uh in, in my liking of the app in and of itself um, but yeah, we got some cool things coming down the pipe as far as upcoming features that I can lean you into. I mean, we're looking at, uh, working with a few pretty, uh, innovative companies in the industry. I mean, Bo knows about one kind of that leads into helping you figure out when you may or may not go deer hunting, um, just around, you know, some, uh, ability to maybe predict when you might sit in a tree versus when you might watch a football game. Um, we got some pretty cool things, uh, based around just the, the usability of your content. So, I mean, right now we definitely give you an ability to organize it via, you know, color icon, this, that, and the other thing, um, some abilities to organize that in a far better manner. Um, you know, uh, into like folders per se, and then hopefully the ability to, um, just share those a lot more readily, uh, that's on the roadmap as well. Um, so, you know, obviously you only can share like a single markup at this point, but we're definitely ah, okay. making strides to where like, Hey Bo, I want to share with you all my pins on my Wisconsin farm. So that's, that's kind of the next, uh, our next step and hurdle in sharing is like sharing mass markups, if you will. 
Um, cause I think if you've shared markups, you've all been there. Like I have to really share every single one of these. I can't just like select. Yeah. That's going to be, that's going to be super nice. when you send me all your whitetail waypoints when you send yeah, me the dude. whole, well, you can categorize again, them and send I'll them all. I'll tell you me. right now, if you come out here to Montana deer hunting, man, we'll definitely link for sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any secrets. I know. I'm just messing with you, but <laughs> that that's cool, man. Uh, but, yeah, dude. I mean, we got we got all sorts of things cooking up at Onyx. We we cook things faster than we can possibly build them. So, uh, yeah, we're we're always scheming. That's awesome. I, I I think that's pumped. The 3D feature is so cool. I've been pumped about using that. And like one of the things like for me that I've and I've I've shared it with on this podcast before, but for whitetail hunting, like in the big woods, the mountains, like in the Appalachian Range, I can find those kind of like hidden benches that you can see on top of lines, but they're not, they don't jump out at you as much where now I can kind of see it and see how things flow together and make sense. Then I have like my, my trail cameras that are in there and it's kind of helping me figure out how they're moving through it. And it's, it's been super helpful. Yeah. Well, and another thing on top of lines, I mean, like we're, we're exploring the possibility of potentially getting, you know, better topography because I'm sure you've run into the situation where you're looking at on X and you're standing on a ridge and you're like, really? That's one topo line? Yeah. Because I've definitely been there. And like that definitely just helps like finding benches and finding that that yep. stuff. So, uh, but yeah, 3D is is now the answer there, obviously. So yeah. that definitely makes the, the planning phase that much easier. For sure. Well, Jared, uh, where can where can people find some more about yourself personally as well as Onyx? And, you know, give a few plugs here if you would. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, if you don't have Onyx yet, my simple and always go-to plug is like for cheaper than a tank of gas, you can get a hunting products that you will use literally more than any other that you currently use. Maybe save your boots and weapon. Um, so onyxmaps.com, use code EMW at checkout, save yourself 20%. Uh, and then uh, myself personally, Jared C. Larson on Instagram, um, you know, uh, that's, that's about where I'm at. Awesome, buddy. That's, uh, I appreciate it. This story was awesome. I'm glad, uh, you're able to come on here and talk about it. And I, I hope to be able to talk to you soon and share some more stories and just general bullshit session. Well, I mean, again, we'll plug Justin one more time to come up with a feature film idea worthy of my and Bo's presence for, uh, the next on X feature film with, with Justin Mueller behind the lens. So get to it, buddy. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Justin, hopefully you should be able to listen to this. You got enough damn time in a car. So, uh, listen to it the whole way through. <laughs> uh, I appreciate right. it. Bo. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, buddy. We'll see you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.